Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And boy, do we got some big names for you today. Bob Costas, Bobby Valentine, Matt Williams, and Dan Straley. But we're going to start with a guy who, come on, it's Bob Costas. Whenever When I told people we were having Bob Costas on the show, everybody's like, wow. He was the primetime host of 11 Olympic Games. Think about that. That's how big time Bob Costas is, a Ford C. Frick Award winner, which makes him a Baseball Hall of Famer, but truly one of the greatest broadcasters in the United States. Man, so talented, TV, radio. Here is the legend, Bob Costas. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters in the history of American sports and American television. Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time. Obviously, we're all big fans. Thanks so much. And I can tell you, so my wife knows nothing about sports. And Mm -hmm. normally when I tell her who's coming on, she has no idea. But when I said you were coming on, my wife goes, you're going to have Bob Costas on? So that's, you know, when you've had a really good career. When people don't even know sports, know who you are. (laughs) Well, the Olympics has something to do with that because a lot of people who aren't really avid sports fans nonetheless follow the Olympics, and I did a dozen of them. And then luckily, during most of my NBC career, it was the biggest events. It was the World Series, the NBA Finals, the Super Bowl, Sunday night football, the Kentucky Derby. So those things kind of pull in the casual viewers as well. So I guess I was very often just in the right place at the right time. Yeah, what was it like? I've always wanted to ask you this. What was it like, the preparation, the Olympics? This is the big, biggest event. Everybody in the world's watching. What was it like to be a part of that? Specifically the Olympics? Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the things I learned after the first couple I did, and this was a great relief. It took a lot of the stress away. I learned what you didn't have to know. I came to understand you don't have to know every pole vaulter from Slovakia or every platform diver from Peru. That's what the people who are assigned to that specific event and venue have to know everything about. The host has to have a good overview of that particular Olympics and the two dozen or so stories that are likely to get most of the coverage in prime time. You have to have a good grasp of the history of the Olympics a good frame of reference when it comes to that, and know more than a little bit about the host city and the host country. But you shouldn't get bogged down with every race walker from Romania or, or every swimmer from Australia. Um, that, that kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, and, yeah, and we're, we've been watching The Last Dance, uh, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Have you been watching that? And obviously you live that. Yeah, I've watched every minute of it, and I'm very impressed. It's terrific storytelling. Jason Hare, who led the production team and that entire team, 
ESPN gave them plenty of time. They gave them plenty of resources, and they've really maximized it. They've done a great job. You know, I've been I've been watching MLB Network. Of course, we're all MLB Network junkies, and watching you with Tom Verducci, Tim McCarver, and Joe Torre going over the 2001 World Series, and hopefully we're mm. going to have our, our, our old friend Matt Williams, who's managing in South Korea. You know, we, we've had him on the program quite a bit, uh, and he was a part of that series. What a great World Series that was, and to have Joe Torre there talking about all – how much fun have you had looking at all these classic games? Well, that series goes back to 2011. That's when we selected the 20 greatest games of the modern television era from 1960 on. And almost all of them were postseason games with a few exceptions. And what really seems to still work is you can pull those off the shelf and all the networks are having to pull a lot of stuff, archival stuff off the shelves during this strange period of time. It still works. It worked in 2011 when that World Series was a decade old. It works now when it's almost two decades old. You see all the important plays, but what distinguishes it from just simply replaying the entire game is that you have some of the key principles sitting there and recollecting the strategy, some of the specifics that might have escaped you when you were just watching the game, even if you were covering the game. There's always some inside baseball there. And then there's the emotion that they felt, either the exhilaration when it went well or, uh, or the letdown when it, when it didn't. And talking about that World Series and talking to Joe Torre, uh, the Yankees had gone through a, a rather remarkable season. They beat the Seattle Mariners, who won 116 games that year. They beat them in the LCS. And all of this comes after 9-11. Uh, and the city is traumatized. And even people who tend to root against New York and specifically root against a team like the Yankees, they coalesced around the Yankees. The Yankees became a sympathetic team in no small part because of Joe Torre and people like Derek Jeter. It was very difficult to dislike this Yankee team, and especially in the aftermath of 9-11. So many dramatic things happened. President Bush went walking out to the mound before Game 3, and people were still jittery about attending a big event in New York. And he threw a perfect strike from the mound, and it kind of energized everything and uplifted the country. And then during that World Series, in the fourth and fifth games of the series, the Yankees tied the game in each case on a two-out home run in the bottom of the ninth, first by Tino Martinez and then by Scott Brocious. Then there was the Mr. November home run, the first World Series game played after November 1st, after the clock struck midnight and Derek Jeter hit the walk-off home run. So Torrey and the Yankees had all this exhilaration and all of the emotion surrounding 9-11 that took them to Game 7. And they go to the bottom of the ninth in Game 7 with a lead and Mariano Rivera on the mound. And it looked like it was going to be another Yankee victory. And then it slipped away. So you talk about the roller coaster of emotions. Hard to imagine more dips and turns uh, than Joe Torre went through that October. You know, we've been talking a lot about the 70s A's. We're going to get into 1989. Uh, you were a part of the broadcast. And speaking mm-hmm. of the last dance, it's, it's hard to compare eras and teams from other sports. But the way there was a common enemy in Jerry Krause with the Bulls, those great A's teams, the dynasty, it was Charlie Finley was their common enemy. And he had great players. What do you remember about the three straight World Series teams for the A's in 72, 73, and 74? Well, I was still in college then, so I didn't have a press pass. I didn't cover any of it, but I've always been an avid baseball fan. And this is pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-sports talk as we know it. But even then, it was pretty clear that things were a little unorthodox, shall we say, in Oakland surrounding those teams. But whatever conflict there may have been, managerial changes even after winning world championships, players at one another's throats, everybody upset with Finley, no matter what, controversy there may have been they were the best team in baseball for that stretch uh that three-year stretch they were they were just terrific and they won dramatic games and they became for that period of time a a national team now when you fast forward to the late 80s and early 90s when they went to three straight world series you could make a case that that was an even better team but in baseball uh a best of five or a best of seven can be a crapshoot so they only won one of those three World Series. Otherwise, that team, Tony La Russa's team, 
would be in the conversation among the great teams in the modern era. No doubt. And, and it and still should be. It still should be, really. Yeah, it, it, we're going to start breaking it down because we, we, we are airing games here on NBC Sports California of the 70s games. We're now going to hopefully start doing 1989. You know, they lose to the Dodgers, and what a great run by Oral Hersizer in 1988. But they go to spring training saying, that's not going to happen. We're going to win the World Series. They had great confidence. What do you remember about doing those games? Because we just watched one of those games, uh, ALCS, Blue Jays, and A's. Yeah, in 88, they were clearly the best team. But the Mets were a better team than the Dodgers, and the Dodgers beat them in seven games. And I remember thinking before the first game of that World Series, if somehow the Dodgers can steal the first game against Dave Stewart, Oral Hershiser is going to pitch game two. And that was back in an era where guys could come back on three days rest. So he could conceivably pitch games two and five, which he did. So even though the Dodgers were substantial underdogs, if they could steal that first game, there was a really good chance they could go to Oakland up two games to none. And that's exactly what happened. The miracle home run by Kirk Gibson, then Hershiser, who was not just Cy Young great, he was invincibly great uh, in the last half of uh, the 1988 season. He shut them down in game two. He closed the series out in game five. They stole another game in game four. The only game the A's won, as you guys remember, was on a Mark McGuire walk-off against Jay Howell in game three. And then Lasorda pulled every rabbit out of the hat in game four. He gave guys the hit sign on 3-0, and and they homered. He pulled a suicide squeeze. He did everything, and somehow they won game four. That's, that's baseball. So here are, the, here are the A's. In 88, they're the best team. In 89, Tony Kubek and I did the ALCS, and they pretty much had their way with a very good uh, Toronto Blue Jay team, beat them in five. And then you get the earthquake series, which the earthquake itself, the so-called earthquake series. So for 10 days, they had to sit and wait. But then they went on to sweep the Giants. And then the next year, again, they're the best team, but they get swept by the Cincinnati Reds. Ask Tony LaRusso about it. And then you, ha- you realize that in 2006 and in 2011, he won World Series with the Cardinals when there's no way that the Cardinals over the course of the season were the best team in the National League or the best team in baseball, but with a different playoff set up and they got hot at the right time and they won it. The baseball gods, when it comes to Tony La Russa, who's obviously a Hall of Fame manager, they've smiled on him on some occasions, luckily for him toward the end of his career, and other times the baseball gods were cruel to him. Yeah, we've had Tony on the program, and he talks about it's a disappointment that they only won one. But this one team, because I'm in high school at the time, I'm playing Mm -hmm. baseball, they were rock stars to me. I mean, when you start looking at the big personalities, you know, where where we're going with cable television at the time, you got Canseco, Ricky Henderson, they trade for him, Sandy Ellerson gets him back, and Eckersley. I mean, it was just, what, what was the team like from a standpoint of stardom? Oh, they were, as you put it, they were rock stars. And obviously, McGuire, were it not for his involvement in PEDs, he would have had a Hall of Fame career. His statistics would not have been what they were at their most inflated, but he would have had a Hall of Fame career. Canseco uh, was the first 40-40 guy. But of all the players on that team, and there were some really good players, I mean, Walt Weiss was a good player, Terry Steinbach, Steinbach was a good player, Carney Lansford was a batting champion at one point in his career. Dave Stewart was one of the best starting pitchers of his era. But the two greatest players, when you really look at it objectively, were Dennis Eckersley at that point in his career and Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson is the greatest leadoff man in baseball history. And in that 89 LCS against the Blue Jays, he just dominated the whole series. He'd get on first base, steal second, steal third. The entire defense was jittery. Pitcher couldn't concentrate on the hitter. It was, he was a presence from, from the moment he stepped on the field. When he was in the on-deck circle, you know, or he gets ahead in the count 2-0, and you got to groove one to him because you can't risk walking him. He was, he was as much of a presence as a baseball player can be. You know, you think about it, a, a baseball player comes up once every nine hitters. He's out there in left field. Maybe they hit the ball to him. Maybe they don't. It's not the same thing as basketball where a guy like Michael Jordan can be a presence every moment he's on the floor. You felt like Ricky Henderson was a presence every minute of every game at that stage of his career. Let's end on this. 
today's a really big day for Major League Baseball as at 10 o'clock tonight here on the West Coast on ESPN, we're going to see baseball in South Korea. Just mm-hmm. in baseball history, how important is it that this works in South Korea? I don't know. Uh, I'll be interested to see, but I don't know if it will resonate with American audiences. Obviously, people are hungry for any sort of sports competition. Some of them are watching uh, people play horse at a distance on ESPN or on the NBA network. Uh, So we'll see uh, if this has any traction at all. I I haven't really looked up and down the rosters. I don't know if there's anybody that would jump out that would be in the category of a Sadaharu O. I realize that's Japan, but you know what I'm saying. There are some people uh, who excel outside the United States and outside our major leagues that uh, are worthy of attention. I think how these games are covered uh, with with the coverage surrounding it, I don't know that the uh, the, the announcers, are they going to take Korean announcers with subtitles or are they assigning ESPN announcers to it? I don't know. I just, uh, for yeah, all neither, the- do, neither do I. But my, my point is somebody's got to make it, got, has to explain and set the stage to the American viewer you know, who are these people? Who are the best players? What's at stake here? Uh, otherwise, you're just watching guys swing a bat and run around the bases. Well, during these trying times, we're trying to bring on familiar voices because I think it helps people here in Northern California where we're, we're cooped up in our homes. And your voice is one of the most familiar we got. Thank you so much for the time. It's an absolute honor. Be well. And hopefully once the baseball season starts, we can start talking about Major League Baseball. Boy, we all hope so. Thanks a lot for having me on. Take care. Bye. From Bob Costas to one of my favorite people in the game. I remember years and years ago getting a chance to interview Bobby Valentine. Yeah, I, I, I wish he did more television. I, I think Bobby's great. Uh, and, you know, as a player, as a manager, as a broadcaster, we always like having Bobby V on. Well, he's one of my favorites. And over the years, having him on my pregame show, whether it was the manager of the Mets or the Texas Rangers loved him on television. The great Bobby Valentine is with us here on A's cast live. How you been, Bobby? It's been a while. Well, it's been a while, but we go back a long way. You know, when you think that uh, the A's and the giants uh, were shaking, rattling, rolling during the world series, I was on the field for that, uh, for the earthquake and uh, the battles that my teams had with Oakland and then later with Dusty and the Giants, it's, it's always good to talk to you and, and be back for sure. All right. I've, I've always wanted to ask you this. We've always just talked baseball, but people don't realize what a great football player you were back in the days in Connecticut. And you had you had offers from what, like Notre Dame and USC, and you still have all these records. What would it have been like for Bobby Valentine if you don't sign with the Dodgers and you go play college football and college baseball, what do you think would have happened? Wow. It's amazing. I just walked from my kitchen where I was going through an old box of stuff in the box happened to be the letter of intent that I signed to go to USC to play football underneath that letter. The letter of intent was a, uh, a two-paragraph letter from Error Parsegian from Notre Dame saying you still have time to change your mind. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, wow, that up, huh? Um, I don't know what it would have been like. It would have been a kick. You know, when I, when I was being recruited as a high school senior, I walked around campus with O.J. Simpson. He left me off at uh, Bovard Field to watch a baseball game because the catcher of the baseball team for the Trojans was a guy named Steve Soggy, who was also the quarterback who was always handing off to OJ on the football team. So because he played two sports, I was going to wait until after the game to talk to Steve. While I was sitting in the stands, a guy came over, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, hey, you're Bobby Valentine, aren't you? He said, yeah. He says, here, take this. And he gave me a transistor radio with Dodgers inscribed across the front of the old transistor radio, right? This is like the the cigarette pack size of a transistor radio. Well, it turns out I talked to Steve Soggy. I signed a letter of intent to go to SC. I go home. I graduate. I get drafted number one by the Dodgers. I get on a plane. I go to Ogden, Utah. I walk 
off of the plane and who's meeting me in the airport, but the guy who's going to be my manager. And he's shaking my hand, telling me he's going to be my manager. And I said, haven't we met before? And he said, yeah, I was the guy who gave you the transistor. <laughs> wow. Trip. My name is Tommy Lasorda, and I'm your Ricky League manager. <laughs> How about that? Wow. So not, Tommy yeah. Lasorda gave you a trans, he gave you a radio when you were visiting USC when yeah. it was a USC baseball game that OJ yeah. Simpson walked you over to the baseball game. Put that stuff together, huh? Is that cool? And you brought it up, and I was just thinking about it before I got on the phone with you. How crazy is that? Oh, man, that is, that's one of the greatest yeah. stories I've ever heard. Tommy Lasorda, so your, your rookie year, your manager, did you know like, like Tommy was going to be a great manager? I mean, obviously a Hall of Famer. Well, you know, he had a spirit about him. And, you know, what he said is, you know, he didn't like me because I was Italian. He liked me because he was Italian. And uh, I'll never forget walking we we left the airport. We went down to Ogden, Utah. We walked into this little rickety old clubhouse. And as they walked through the wall, on the wall, walked through the door, on the wall of the clubhouse door was a large sign that said, you will love the Dodgers. And then it went dot, 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 and bigger letters that said, you will hate the Giants. And that, that was my end <laughs> indoctrination into professional baseball. Tommy Lasorda and hating the Giants. Yes. You know, on this day in baseball history, you have Ricky Henderson breaks the all-time stolen base record, and then a guy that you manage, yeah. and I know means a lot to you, Nolan Ryan would throw his fifth no-hitter. When you look back at these two greats, Ricky Henderson and Nolan Ryan, it's just celebrating this day and that's what we're doing we're talking baseball we're trying to be a distraction for people and just to talk about these two legends two hall of famers when you look back at nolan ryan and ricky henderson yeah top of their class no doubt about it and and you know if i could just do my personal uh association i was the center fielder on may 17th 1973 when nolan ryan threw his first no hitter then you fast forward 20 years or so, and uh, I'm his manager when he threw his sixth and seventh no-hitter. Ricky Henderson is the guy who's batting when Nolan Ryan strikes out his 5,000th batter. Incredible at that I ever saw because it was at, at Texas Stadium there was a full crowd in Arlington, probably about 125 degrees. Nolan has now, in the third inning, 4,999 strikeouts. And the number is up on the board in, in center field in our scoreboard. Who's the batter but Ricky Henderson? The sun had set in Texas. There was a little haze in, on the ballpark. And as Nolan wound up to throw his three-and-two pitch to Ricky Henderson, the entire 40,000 people were on their feet. But you know what else those entire 40,000 people did as Nolan threw the ball? They flashed their camera because they wanted to have it be a Kodak moment. And so the entire stadium went up like one huge flashlight bulb going off. I was standing on the top step. It surprised the hell out of me. It knocked me back as though it was a lightning bolt coming out of the sky. But the most amazing thing of the whole thing is Nolan threw this 99-mile-an-hour high-cutting fastball, and the flashbulbs going off as Ricky swings at it, and fouls the pitch off. How the hell did he possibly do that? Because he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest to ever play, hitting against one of the greatest to ever pitch. Yeah, yeah, dot, 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 the rest of the story is. 
Nolan went back on the mound, wound up, and threw another 3-2 pitch, which was a high fastball, cutting away at 97 miles an hour. Ricky swung and missed, and Nolan got his 5,000 strikeout. Yeah, so it's a little story about the two of them. And then, oh, then there's a fast forward, another 10 years or so, or maybe more. And Ricky's a player for the New York Mets. And uh, Ricky had the wonderful way of doing things. One of the things that he would do is when he hit a home run, he would uh, pick. Do you remember when he leaves oh. the box? Oh, he yeah. kind of starts. He'd do that little jog toward the first base dugout, kind of fading away from the, the diamond. And he'd take his shirt and he'd pick on it. Well, playing for the Mets, we had a prevailing wind that blew in from left field. And Ricky, not once, not twice, but three times picked. And every time the ball hit the wall and every time Ricky had a single. And after the second time he did it, I said, hey, Rick, they're not booing you when you're at first base. They're booing me. And I hate being booed. Said, oh, I got that, manager. I got that. I said, well, listen, Rick, I got to tell you, if you ever do it again, I'm going to have to release you. Do you know what it would be? Releasing the greatest player to ever play? Do you know how stupid I would look for doing that? He said, yeah, manager, you look stupid for doing that. I said, well, Ricky, do me a favor. Don't make me look stupid. And sure enough, three weeks later, playing against Atlanta, he picked. He's at first base because the ball bounces off the wall. I call timeout, take him out of the game. And that was the last game Ricky played for the New York. Oh, wow. You've managed managed some of the greatest players to have ever played. And when I think of Nolan Ryan, I remember when I was in high school and they kept saying, well, because I grew up in San Diego and they kept saying, well, you need to come to Angel Stadium because this is Nolan Ryan's last year. And so everybody would go and watch him pitch. And then he'd come back and he'd pitch like six, seven more years. Just when you look back managing him, and I, I think about if he would have played for a, a, an organization that won consistently, he would have won over 400 games. I mean, he, he was so amazing. His work ethic. Just talk about what it was like to manage and to personally know Nolan Ryan as a friend. Oh, yeah. Uh, He was the most amazing creature I ever watched in uniform, Um, not only when he was performing, but when he was uh, in between performances. Um, You know, we there was a spectacular old left handed swinging coach for the California Angels back in the early 70s, who happened to be Babe Ruth's final roommate. His name was Jimmy Reese. You might remember him from folklore. Well, he was a terrific dude. And what he was able to do is take a baseball bat and split the barrel in half and then take the barrel so you had a flat side and a rounded side. And then he would hit balls out of his hand, flat part of the bat, with the precision of of, of an artist. And he would run Nolan Ryan in the outfield by taking a ball, throwing it in the air, and Nolan in stride running across the entire field would catch the ball every time without breaking stride. Well, he would do this the entire batting practice. Other guys would run 20 sprints and go inside. Nolan Ryan would continue for the entire hour of batting practice and run from foul line to foul line, shagging the balls, hit off the bat of the great Jimmy Reese. And then he would go inside and work out. So, yeah, he was he was amazing. And, uh, you know, the, that last no-hitter that he threw against, uh, against the Blue Jays, the most incredible thing about that game was that <clears> – <throat> He would warm up in the bullpen, and his ritual would be that he would time his walk under the stands, down through the the uh, tunnel, into the dugout. And as he would get into the dugout, the team would take the field. He would then walk down the dugout, take his hat off, 
dry his head off with the towel that was waiting for him at the at the Hogan dugout, tap back on, turn toward the field, and take the field to a standing ovation. Well, as he came down the tunnel and walked down the dugout, he looked over his shoulder at me and said, Skipper, you better get someone ready. I think I'm through. And he wiped off his head and he put on his hat and he turned and he took the field. A second later, Tom House, the pitching coach, came down the same tunnel into the dugout. And he looked like he had just seen a ghost. And I said, Tom, what's going on? And he said, he can't reach the plate. Get someone ready. I go to the phone in the dugout, call the bullpen. I say, get Mahorsik up. It might be a quick entry. Dale Mahorsik, my reliever, is warming up in the bullpen as Nolan's warming up before the game. He's bouncing every ball that he throws. He finishes his warm-up. The catcher retrieves the ball, throws it down to second. I'm ready to go to the mound before he throws a pitch. And he waves me off and takes his wind-up and throws the first pitch 96 miles an hour on the black and the red. Wow. That's the riot for you. Yeah. <laughs> true, true story. <laughs> you, you know, one of the great moments in baseball is after September 11th, and I was actually just in New York recently and went to the uh, 9-11 Museum, and it's very emotional for all of us. And But especially in New York, when you guys started playing baseball again, and I, I'll never forget seeing you on television as the manager of the Mets and what it meant to all of you guys in New York, because everything that you guys did to help people and to help this nation recover. When you look back at that time, just what are the thoughts and the feelings? Because I know it meant so much to you. Yeah, well, you know, I I wish I could describe that day. Uh, I I often have a way of of, uh, relaying the emotions of a personal event that I experienced in my life. But that was one of those days that was filled with so many different emotions. Uh, and I was basically sleep deprived. Um, you know, it was only 10 days since it happened. And, and uh, I was trying to be part of this effort that was going to uh, get survivors out of the rubble. And, you know, they, all the volunteers down there day and night, 24-7, trying to move the debris and bring out survivors. And as we all know, there were no survivors and there are only parts of survivors that were found uh, every seldom. Um, but anyway, when that game, which which it took until the 11th hour to determine whether or not we were even going to play in New York, whether or not Atlanta was going to fly up from Atlanta to play in New York 10 days after that horrific event of three miles from an airport where planes consistently landed and took off over Shea Stadium. It was a horrifying thought that we were actually going to go and be with 40,000 other people as the biggest target known to man. And we did it. And I don't know why we did it or how we did it. I know George W. Bush, who was the commander in chief at the time, had a gut feeling that it was important. You know, the NFL had canceled that weekend's game after 9-11. And so there was no football on, on TV that weekend. And baseball had had stopped uh, games for six days. And so there was no baseball. And when we started up for the first couple of days in Pittsburgh, there were constant conversations between the White House and, and the commissioner and and Bobby Cox and the, my owner and and the owner of the of the uh, Braves on, you know, well the season's going to continue, but is it going to be played in New York? And finally, in the eleventh hour, instead of leaving Pittsburgh and going to Atlanta, we left Pittsburgh, came back to New York. We played that game. We cried during the national anthem. We were silent during most of the game. We were 
amazingly entertained by Liza Minnelli when she sang New, New York, New York, and, and all of the first responders came out in a row in their uniforms and did the chorus line kick during New, New York, New York. People were standing and crying and laughing and, and couldn't figure out exactly what they were supposed to be feeling until the next inning when Piazza came up with us behind by two or behind by one and hit the two run homer to put us up by one. And it turned the emotions of that day upside down. It, it, it made everyone react the same way uh, in a good way for the first time in a long time. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it was an amazingly emotional, you know, we, before the game lined up on the field as did the Braves and we embraced before the game started the Braves, the Braves who hated the, the Mets and the Mets who hated the Braves before this game were hugging each other. Mike Piazza and Chipper Jones, you know, Johnny Franco and, and uh, John Smoltz. It was, it was an amazing scene just in that alone. And then, it, the climax of um, you know us us having a lead a lead and giving up a lead and then taking the lead back with the superhero hitting uh, the shot that was heard all around the world uh, is is a really an amazing amazing feat and and that was truly the shot that was heard around the world uh, because we were sure that the bad guys across the other side of the world were watching. And we put on our best show and um, I, I think put them on their heels at the time. Bobby, it's always wonderful to hear your voice and have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Be safe, be well, and let's do this again soon. The idea is to be safe, be healthy. Thank you very much. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to, to talk to someone other than my dog. That guy is a really good man. I really like Bobby Valentine. Well, Last year, he was on Bob Melvin's staff. He's now managing in South Korea. But he was the, like the premier third baseman of his time as a World Series champion, all-star. Matt Williams is a hard worker, terrific coach. We want to check in with him. How's it working in South Korea? Here is Matt Williams, the big Marine. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live is a World Series champion. He's a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, four-time Silver Slugger Award winner, led the National League in home runs, RBIs. He's been manager of the year in the National League, and he was the premier uh, third baseman during his time and, of course, was an A's coach. The great Matt Williams is with us from South Korea. How are you? Hey, Chris. How are you? It's uh... Uh, a little different, a little different time uh, zone over here, but uh, it's good to talk to you. So, what has this experience been like for you? Well, it's it's different uh, for sure. Um, I got a chance to come over last fall and get a little bit of lay of the land. Um, spent 31 days here during the Kia Tigers fall camp, uh, and then and then it was you know we thought business as usual uh until around the first of the year um spring had spring training in florida and uh we were there for an extended period of time because during that time they had a real bad outbreak in south korea of covid so uh we spent a little extra time there and finally got a chance to get over here and uh get ready for the season well, I'll tell you what, you guys are the template uh, of what's going to happen with Japanese baseball, what's going to happen with Major League Baseball. So how are you guys going about it, trying to protect your players? Well, everybody is essentially um, on lockdown, if you will. It's, it's very similar to the stay-at-home orders that you see in the States or, um, you know, things of that nature. But we're at the ballpark or we're at the hotel or we are at our home. Um, not a whole lot of venturing out. Uh, the, the organization has been ultra accommodating with regard to making sure that everybody is safe and everybody is fed and uh, transported and all of those things that 
um, you know, present dangers as you, as you try to live a normal, a somewhat normal life. But, um, you know, we're just trying to make sure everybody adheres to the rules and regulations, one of the government and two of the organization and KBO to make sure that everybody stays healthy uh, so that we can play the games that we're playing. Yeah, we've been watching it, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the style of baseball. It's been fun to watch, but you have an interpreter. What is that? You know, So you can have three American players or three foreign players, but then the rest of the guys, they right. speak Korean. Obviously, you don't. What's that like as a manager? Well, it's, it's a challenge sometimes. Um, you would think that, um, you know, it would be foreign to the, the Korean players. But the majority of our guys, we've got a very young team. So the majority of our guys have been taught English in some form or fashion. So they can understand. If I get into intricate detail about something, they may not. But they certainly understand the language of baseball. And they understand the majority of the things that I may, may want to be telling them. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's great to have Eugene Koo, who, who has major league experience, he, uh, he worked for the pitcher, uh, uh, his last name's O, pitched for the Cardinals, pitched for, um, for the Blue Jays. So he's got the experience of dealing on the other side of it um, with a foreign player going to the States. So he's certainly um, multilingual, and he gets my point across if, uh, if anybody is having any trouble understanding. Just how good is it to be back managing again? That's fun. It's, it's, as you said, it's a little different style. Um, and, uh, and a little different league, as you know, we have 10 teams in the league. Um, the, you know, the, the, the schedule is such that we have every Monday off. So that is a little different. Um, we play games. Uh, if we get into extra innings, we can't go more than 12 innings. Uh, if we, if we have a double header than those games, cannot go into extra innings. So, you know, it's a little bit different, uh, a little bit challenging at times, but it, it's fun. I, I enjoy teaching. That's probably the thing I enjoy most. And, uh, and we have a lot of young players that are eager to learn. That's for sure. I remember being at Candlestick Park. It was Dodgers Giants. I can't remember who the Dodger was, but somebody was showboating. And I remember you screaming at this Dodger guy. And I think fast forward to now, <laughs> it's bat flips, it's fist pumps. It's like a t- totally different than what you were brought up in. Well, you know, I, I, I like to consider myself like a fine wine. Sometimes you mellow with age. You know, so maybe I'm not quite as fiery as I once was, but it is the style of play here. It is, you know, if you, if you took a regular game, I don't know if you've seen any video on it on YouTube or anything, or if anybody that's listening wants to take a look, just pull up KBO on, on, on YouTube. And the fans are incredibly excited. There's noise throughout the game generally. Um, you know, they have chance for every player. Uh, we've got the biggest fan base here for sure. And, uh, you know, right now we don't see any of that because we have no fans in the stands, but, uh, ordinarily it's just a different way of playing the game. And so, yeah, if somebody bat flips, then nobody takes exception to it. Um, because if one of our guys does, then that's okay too. Uh, how has it been without fans? It's a little strange. It's, uh, so, um, you know, cheerleaders, right? So uh, each home team has a set of cheerleaders. So they cheer when the home team is at bat. And so when we're, if we're on playing on the road and, uh, and we're at bat in that inning, it's eerily silent. Uh, but when the home team comes up, then the cheerleaders are going, they're playing songs throughout at bats. Um, they have their chance, of course. And, and so it's a little bit different as you go from half inning to half inning. But it's a little strange. You know, we're, we're all used to having somebody in the stands watching, whether it's mom and dad when you're a kid or, or um, you know, a high school game or a college game or uh, all the way to the big leagues where you've got stadiums full of people. Uh, when there's nobody there, it's a little bit different feeling for sure. When you look at the, the talent level, where do you think from big league to maybe triple A, double A, where do you think the talent level is of the KBO? It's hard to say. There's, there's a, you know, there's a number of, of KBO players that have gone on to play in the major leagues and play well. Um, 
and then there's some that that haven't. So you know, it, it ranges. Um, we have roughly 94 players uh, within the within the whole organization, so it's limited in that regard. There's not there isn't the, the multi-level minor league system that you have in the U.S. You have the 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 major league club, if you will, and then one minor league club underneath that, and then kind of a, de- a development club be- beyond that. So, um, the, yeah, it's a small country, of course, and the, so the, the pool of players that they pull from is not as great as it is in the U.S. or, um, in, in, you know, in a Latin country either. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, you've got some 4A guys. You've got some guys that uh, have gone on to play in the big leagues. Uh, some guys that have have gone and and played and had a cup of coffee in the major leagues and then come back, so it's kind of a you know it's kind of all over the place. But they love to play, man. I tell you what, they work hard uh, every single day. They're eager to get here and play uh, every day, so that's really enjoyable. You know, in your great career, you played in some huge games, and, and you, you haven't been able to see this, but some of the legendary games you played in are being re-aired on MLB Network. You were part of two walk-off Game 7 World Series, obviously in 2001 when you took down the New York Yankees with the D-backs, but then you lost as a Cleveland Indian against the Marlins. I don't know how many people have ever been in, in two games like that in their career. I know, yeah. One, it is so, it is so bitter when it's the wrong end of the stick, but it's so gratifying when you're on the other side and you're able to win it. Ultimately it's what we all play for. You know, we play to win the world series and it's the same over here. You know, we're, we're playing to win every single day. We're playing to win the KBO championship. Um, and you know, ultimately that's, that's the goal. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's rough when it comes down anytime you get beat. Uh, especially in the World Series, especially in extra innings in that World Series. Uh, it makes for a long winter, that's for sure. Well, I know the bond because you know, of Bob Melvin, Bob Brindley, and all the players. We've had Luis Gonzalez on the show. I've asked him this. There is that real special bond of that Diamondbacks team. And I wanted to ask you after watching that game, uh, when Randy Johnson comes out in Game 7, the stadium just went, it just exploded. What was that like? Yeah. Well, he'd gone the night before and thrown 115 or 116 pitches uh, and told Bob Brenly immediately after the game that uh, I'm available tomorrow. So, you know, that and made it known, I think, wanted to make it known for the rest of the players. Um, as you recall, uh, we went to uh, – Yankee Stadium and lost some heartbreaking games and then came back and and really gave it to the Yankees in game six beat them 15 to two and so we wanted to keep that momentum and Randy standing there you know in the earshot of everybody letting Bob know that hey I'm I'm available tomorrow I don't care whether I have to go out and draw a hundred more um was a shot in the arm for us it it was a great team it was a bunch of older guys a bunch of guys that, that had never gotten to the World Series, that it was nothing but about winning. That was it. They had made their money. They had their great careers. Uh, they were at the end of it, and it was simply about winning. And, uh, and that's, that, that was a really fun team to be on. Let's end on this. How many – and I know you're all about winning. Uh, what kind yeah. of chances do your, does, your, does this team have – how long is the season, and then how long is the playoffs? Well, it's a, it's a little bit um, strange because, uh, well, well, if we look at our team, we've got young, young players, we've got talented players, but, but players that are still trying to find their way uh, at points as well. So what we'd like to do this year, realistic goal, is to make the playoffs. Five of the ten teams make the playoffs every year. So we'd like to do that. The team finished in seventh place last year. So we'd like to get to the playoffs and see what we can do. Um, secondly, the, the season is 144 games. So in essence, we play a minor league season in a major league time frame. So the fact that we started on May 5th, we're going to run our season all the way through the end of October. 
And then the playoffs will start sometime in November. So the time frame is a little bit different. Uh, they talked about cutting the amount of games down uh, because we started late. But they decided that since, uh, since you know, they've done a nice job of, of uh, knocking COVID down here, that they would, they would continue to play the full season. Um, some different things that are happening. We now play double headers. We now play on the off day if we do, ha- in fact, have a rain out. So it's more American-style scheduling, uh, but we'll play 144 uh, and, uh, and see where we end up at the end. But hopefully we're, we're somewhere in that top five. Well, good luck to your club. We're going to be watching, and we miss you back here in Oakland. We always appreciate the time. Be safe, be well, and hopefully we'll talk later on in your season. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. So we also got a chance to talk to our former right-hander who's over in South Korea, Dan the K-Man Straley. We had to figure out, how are they doing this? How's the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, how are they making it happen? Well, we asked the right-hander. Here's former A, Dan Straley. You know, one of the things we've been doing with A's Cast Live, and, and we like to tell the audience, we like to bring on familiar voices of people that you know, because I know it makes you feel better when you're locked up and uh, you've been inside too long. And Dan Straley, obviously a familiar voice, an Oakland athletic, now pitching over in South Korea, joins us here on A's Cast Live. And with our technology, we like to call it millennial technology. Not only will they get to hear you, but we get to see It's good to see you. Yeah, Anahaseo, as they uh, say over here. So, hello, everybody. And I think about, t- tell us how the first week has gone. Uh, it's been different. Uh, it's been just empty stadiums, um, you know, weird kind of coming and going rules. But at the end of the day, like, just so blessed to have baseball in my life, so blessed to have games going that I'm able to overlook all that kind of stuff. And, just, just be excited and just try to be in the moment when I'm there. I got to tell you, I've been watching it. And I mean, the league will get into the entertainment side. It's an entertaining league. But, you know, after a couple innings, I'm just so happy to have a live sporting event and to have a baseball game that like, I look around. I don't care that there's not anybody in the stands. You forget about that after a couple innings. Uh, you really do. Um, I notice it more on the days that I'm that I'm not pitching than the days that I am throwing the ball. But when I was out there pitching, like I was just kind of like locked in and like trying to get the guy out. You know, he's trying to bat flip me and hit a homer. So like I'm just trying to strike him out, you know, and and uh, you don't really notice how quiet and like eerie it is until like you're done. Um, I'm sure it's different for the position players because like they're the ones like, you know, they're having to fill a little more uh, imagination in their mind and having the, you know, the, the time between pitches trying to get locked in, they probably have time to look around and see how empty it is, which it is. But once you get going, like it's just baseball, like you just miss the crowd noise. You miss the energy from them more than anything. Yeah. It kind of takes you back to your college days when you had like a inner squad game against your teammates and there was nobody in the stands. That's what it kind of reminds me of. It really does. It really does. Because even like uh, I was saying this the other day, like even like a, a a Tuesday afternoon game against a non you know popular team, and like when I was an A, like or even when I was a Red or a Marlin or an Oriole, like when you play some of these midweek games, like there's it's not as crowded. Like there's no secret. Like there's just not that many people there. But there's still like when we say not crowded, we still mean like eight to ten thousand folks. Like. We're not talking about zero. Like zero is so different than eight to ten thousand. And like I'll never complain about having like very few people at a game ever again in my life. Like I'm just this is this situation has put so many things in perspective for so many of us. And I will never ever take for granted anybody that comes to a baseball game ever again in my life when this is all over. So from a safety standpoint. What are you guys doing? What's the league doing? Because obviously you're the template for Major League Baseball to get going once again. We, uh, so when we're at the hotel, when we're at the field, we're, it's, it's uncomfortable to say out loud, but we're not allowed to interact with fans. Like you're not supposed to sign stuff, um, that kind of thing. I actually asked if I have rubber gloves, if I can sign things and people said that's fine. So I carry some rubber gloves with me because like these people are just so excited that like I have a hard time saying no. But the, when we get on the bus, the, the team takes your temperature to make sure you're good to go. And then 
when we get off the bus, like my team took my temperature getting on the bus. We get off the bus, the stadium we're going into, they take the skate. So everybody make sure that you're like, you're good to go. And you sign a thing saying that you haven't had X, Y, or Z symptoms in the last 24 hours, just to make sure that everybody's good to go. Um, a lot of, a lot of hand sanitizer, no high-fiving. You're not supposed to spit at the field. Um, umpires wear gloves and masks. Bat boys wear gloves and masks. Like a lot of people wear gloves and masks just to try to like, you know, keep anything, any germs they would have to themselves type of thing. Are you able to go out and about in the town? Uh, yes, yes. Um, we still do it cautiously though. I mean, we're still, none of us want to be the reason that our league gets shut down for three weeks. And so you're still trying to be as responsible as you can be. But um, at the same time, like I had to go to immigration office yesterday to get uh, my card for over here. And then after that, like our translator drove us up to this, like kind of like cultural village it's called. It's just like this really cool little village dug into like a hillside that they painted bright colors and it's beautiful. And we went up there and kind of walked around a little bit and like everybody just kind of like keeps to themselves, even though you're like out in public and you're out doing something like, there's still like no one like congregates in the same area. Like you still kind of like keep your space, but you know, all a common day for me to just stop at a, a Starbucks or stop somewhere on my way to the field, stop and get some lunch. Oh, my son's calling me. Hold on. Kind of like do something like that where you're just, it, it's a lot more normal than, than, than expected basically right now here. Yeah, that's kind of been the you know the tough thing for so many people here in, in California, especially Northern California, as, as we're starting to open up a little bit, but it's still uh, pretty much on stay in place and, and, and lockdown. Uh, you know, having been over to Japan twice with the A's and to see how over in Asia they just love baseball, they're fanatical about baseball. That's that's got to be. I mean, when you do get the fans in, the energy is going to be incredible, especially when they get to see baseball again. But I think you get the sense, as you said, people want autographs. Uh, they're great baseball fans in Asia. There are. And they the age range is so different than America. Like, it's, like, kids to, like, grandparents are at games. Like, it's just a different vibe where it's just everybody, like, has been – like, all the videos I've seen, I've, I haven't seen it in person. But the energy, like, I just kind of, like, imagine it somewhere along the lines of, like – 2013 ALDS back in Oakland, like kind of loud. We're like, I can't hear myself think on the field type of vibes. And that's like what I've heard it's supposed to be like here. Like, especially at my stadium that I'm playing in, I'm playing in one of like the older, the originals. And, and they said that the fans here, um, when you're winning, it's the best place to be in Korea. And when you're losing, it's the last place you want to be in Korea. So, uh, <laughs> I love that though. I just like, kind of yeah. like that. I love that kind of like passion that you kind of, you kind of expect with that going into it. It's a, it's like playing for the Yankees. If you're not playing well, New York's a miserable place to be, but if you are playing well, you're on top of the world. Yeah. Every time I've gone to New York, I've just been yelled at and told how much I suck by everybody I run into. So uh, I can't imagine being on the other side of that. And when you're struggling, uh, what that feels like to hear from your own fans wearing the same colors as you. So, yeah, uh, no, I know it's all part of it. And the, the passion and, and the pride of it all comes into play. And uh, at the end of the day, like you appreciate it as a player, even if it's not always positive geared your direction, like you you just feed off it and you love it. So. Tell us about the entertainment part of this game, these crazy bat flips. You got pitchers who are, you know, fist pumping. And, you know, and, and I hear they encourage everybody to do this. What is it like playing this style of baseball? So it was introduced to me as it is not a uh, it's not a showmanship thing. It's not a showing you up thing uh, when you when you bat flip here, or like a guy fist pumps or slams his chest on a strikeout or stares at people like it's like. They say it's like part of like finishing the swing for the fans. Like it's in there. They, they literally like that's the way it was presented to me. Like, no, it's just like it's an entertainment thing. Like it's we're finishing our swing. It's part of the show for the fans. And I, I get it. I do. And I just have to remember that like I joined them. I joined their league. Like they didn't join Dan Straley's way of thinking and, and my way of doing things. Like I literally joined them. And so it'd be uh, 
it'd be wrong of me to, to, to treat it any differently than that. And so I haven't seen any crazy ones. Um, our team is like, we've hit a decent number of home runs and like, we have one guy that has just an awesome bat flip, but like, it's not like this epic bat flip. It just like looks really cool. Like the way, how smooth it is. But I haven't seen any like, you know, Bautista like bat throws or anything like that yet. But, um, I've seen some clips of like foreigners, like doing fist pumps and, and pounding their chest and the Koreans just like eat it up and they think it's so fun. And, and, uh, I mean, they're probably making fun of us. I don't speak the language, so that's okay if they do or not. I don't really, that that's fine with me, but you know, that's not really who I am as a pitcher. I've never really done that. I've always been taught like, you know, just like don't show emotion. Don't do this. Don't, you know, just, just be the even consistent person on the Hill, but it's kind of hard not to get caught up in some of the fun here, especially when you can like hear the other dugout chirping at you the whole time, which is totally different than anything we're used to back home. Um, you know, just like the other day I was pitching and these guys kept yelling like, Oh, you're tipping, you're tipping in English, like trying to like yell. And so I just threw three fastballs by a guy and I just yell in their dugout. Was I tipping there? Like, how come he didn't hit it? Like, was I tipping? And so like, it's just like, it's some of these weird things. Like, it's just like part of it that like you stuff that I never expected coming over here is like kind of happening. And it's, again, it's just different different. Isn't bad or good. Always. It's just different. Do you think this could ever play in the United States? Um, I think the hitters would love it. And the way things are going in MLB, like there's, we all know there's enough home runs that there's going to be opportunities. Um, and if, I don't know, I, I think time will tell. Um, I think that, you know, as a pitcher, a lot of guys take it so personal when you do give up a home run and it's kind of like, you know, don't shouldn't have thrown the ball there. Like I get it. Like, but you know, I've played with plenty of guys that, you know, watch it and they, you know, they have their version of just like celebrating their own Homer. And like when it's on your team, like you're all for it, but for some reason it's just like ingrained in us that like when someone does it against you, when someone, you know, screams when they fly out, you're like, you automatically think like, you know, like, well, you, you also almost just missed the ball completely. Like you didn't just miss hitting a homer. Like, so it's just kind of like part of the competitive nature of the game where I'm not sure how people would react over time. And, um, you know, how, if there could ever even be really socially acceptable by pitchers, I guess is really what we're the big question there is. You know, last year, the baseball was a joke. We know it was juiced. You pitchers, I mean, I mean, this is your livelihood. You you know how the ball reacts. Last year it was like a a cue ball. There were like no seams. Is it nice pitching with a different baseball than what you had to have last year? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of differences in in certain things between these baseballs. I'm actually holding one right now. There's a lot of differences between this ball and the ball back in America, but they're it's like subtle things like the if you take this ball and you're sweaty and you just like the sweat gets on there and you just kind of like get rosin the ball is no longer slippery like but it's not sticky it's just like there's enough tack that you don't feel like you're going to lose control of the ball so they've given you everything that you need in this league to have zero foreign substance when you pitch they've given you everything between it being hot so you're just sweating and rosin these balls those three things you're good and it's incredible to me that these guys have done that because they've essentially completely eliminated foreign substance in this league. So everybody is on an even playing field when it comes to throwing the baseball. And um, the seams are a little bit bigger, but not like absurdly larger than, than, you know, major league baseballs. And obviously the, the size and weight is the same, but it was an adjustment to be honest. Like it's, just because it was different, like I said earlier, doesn't mean it was good or bad. It was just different. And so uh, learning how to shape my pitches, learning how to how I hold balls with this was a little bit of an adjustment. But luckily, not luckily, but we had a three-month spring training to, for me to be able to figure that out. So I was able to get that job done. How is it interacting with your teammates? Um, it's, in a way, like humbling to be on the other side of that 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 situation. There's so many times in my life where I've been – one of the English speakers in the group of English speakers saying hi to a, you know, a, a Japanese guy or a Taiwanese guy or a Korean guy, or even guys that you know speak Spanish or, you know, just any, any different language. And 
to be to be the foreigner is uh, kind of a, a, a different, a humbling experience in, in terms of a whole nother side of the clubhouse that I never even had to think about. Like, you know, I've always just been like, you know, this is the way we do it here. And like, you know, it's just, you know, you're going to have to just understand that's just how it's done here. And now I'm on the other side where it's like, I'm the one that has to understand that's just how it's done here. And um, yeah, like I said, like it was just kind of an adjustment. My teammates here have been absolutely amazing. They've been so great. They've been uh, welcoming and just accommodating with everything. We've gone out to dinner. Most of them, like a lot of them have taken us to like their favorite restaurants or, you know, gone to do this or do that with different guys. And so it's been really nice. Um, our translator has been great. And so he's been willing to just kind of come whenever we need him to help us out and take us places and meet up with guys. And it's really helped us be more comfortable, which at the end of the day is the team's goal is for us to be comfortable and be successful on the Hill. So it's, it's working. When's the next time you're going to pitch? Uh, Friday or Saturday. Find out here. I'll go to the field here in a little bit and we'll get scheduled dialed in for sure. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get to see it on ESPN because they've been running these games and it's just been so great just to have, I, I mean, as much as we've enjoyed all the great games and the X game, you know, football games and baseball games and golf tournaments. I mean, but at some point you can only watch so much history. You want to see something that's real. And let me just say, uh, it's big that you came on because this is really helping out a lot of baseball fans, especially our A's family, uh, to hear your voice and to hear you. And, and you know, you're always going to be an A and we're always going to appreciate you. So thank you. So, and for me, it's great to see you. And if you don't cut your beard, I won't cut my hair and we'll see what it looks like in a couple months. Challenge accepted. <laughs> hey, it's always great to talk to you. Be well, be safe, and uh, keep getting outs and keep blowing it by them. Appreciate it, Chris. Take care. I hope you really enjoyed A's Unfiltered with Bob Costas, Bobby Valentine, Matt Williams, and Dan Straley. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.